Good morning, this is Steve Allen with a look back at some of the highlights of my early breakfast show of the past week. You can hear me every weekday morning from four on LBC. Mustn't feed ducks, very bad, very bad to feed ducks because they, it, it clogs them up and, uh, and they choke to death. So if you really want to kill them, well, go feed them bread. Go for, I mean, I don't mind you feeding pigeons bread. That's OK. I mean, the only good pigeon is a squashed one under the wheels of my car. That's the best thing. That's the, but they never manage it, do they? How many times do you see a pigeon unless it's off its face on drugs? You never see a pigeon squashed in the road. You just don't, you just don't see them. The mess you find everywhere. And it costs a fortune to, uh, to get rid of them. And the people who generally feed pigeons are quite a few shillings short of the, of the pound, aren't they? You've seen them. Oh, hello, I like pigeons, I do. They're my friends. Of course they are, love. They... They really are your friend. Uh, yes, and people who feed foxes, don't they? See, I don't mind foxes. I, don't, I, I quite like fo- foxes, although out in the countryside, I think they're actually better because they've learned how to fend for themselves. In town, you know, they've actually taken over from us. I mean, it's, it's not uncommon. I've seen it with my own eyes in daylight hours, a fox walking through Leicester Square. I've been down by the bus stop and a fox has walked past me and I've thought, Is that, you, know, you know, you do a double take, you go... Is that, is that a fox? And you think, well, what else could it be? Not a giant pussycat, is it? And so it, it walks past you and you think, they just break, they don't care. They come at, there's so much garbage out on the streets for them to feed on that it's okay for foxes. They don't need to forage out in, out in the countryside. You know, you're hard pushed to find a kebab shop in the middle of the Sussex countryside. It doesn't really exist, does it? And so they have to sort of go raiding. And you remember the sad story. James O'Brien lost all his chickens to a, to a fox. Because once they go in there, they just sort of cause havoc and chickens don't know what to do. Ah! Oh, I did laugh. Oh, I did laugh. You have to type in on YouTube, Lord of the Dance, penguins. And it's the penguins from Happy Feet. But it, it, they're obviously not dancing to this. But it, it looks so funny when you get all of them doing Lord of the Dance and the penguins doing Happy Feet. It's the funny... Seriously, it'll, if it doesn't put a smile on your face, you're a hard-nosed so-and-so and you don't deserve to be around listening to this programme. This, this, this programme is only for happy people. I'm not interested in people who've got sort of either chips on their shoulders or they're on, mom, or they're on major, major medication. I'm not interested in people like that. Or internet trolls. We, don't, we, ju- we, just, we just junk them. It's, uh, so I, I sort of... I feel a bit sorry for Seriously, I do feel sorry for internet. Are you watching it? Happy. It's the funniest thing ever. Just type in, just go, Lord of the Dance, Happy Feet, or Penguins, and it, it finds it, and it's just hilarious. At one point, he falls off the edge of the cliff. <laughs> they carry on dancing. Seriously, it just makes you smile, and I love things that make me smile. You know, everything makes me smile. Talking to my accountant makes me smile. You know, going to a cash point machine makes me smile. Putting Petra in the car really makes me miserable because I'm looking at how much it costs nowadays. Although I filled it up the other day for about 80 quid, which I was quite surprised because people say, oh, it must cost a fortune to fill your car up. I go, well, actually, not as much as you think. You know, there are, there are bigger gas guzzlers out there than mine. But uh, at a lovely day yesterday. Yesterday was a lovely day. Really nice day. Nice breakfast. Uh, and then when I couldn't find drinking yoghurt. Do you know, I went to... I'd, I couldn't be bothered, actually. I should have... If I thought about it, I should have driven to Tesco, because they seem to do yacht play. Uh, and I couldn't be bothered to do it. So I, sort of, I went back home, and I thought, I know, I'll go to Waitrose. They must sell it, mustn't they? They sell everything. Waitrose has got everything. Have they got yacht play? No. And, haven't even, and they've stopped doing my drinking yoghurt in Morrison's. You're still watching it. It's so funny. It's the funniest thing ever. And the music's really good. The track is a really good track. Go on, do it. I dare you. I did watch the television yesterday and I was... Uh, it just got... And every time, it always gets me. 
and that's Strictly Ballroom. Little Australian film. Paul Mercurio, the star of it, I interviewed on LBC Donkeys years ago, and I hadn't seen the film, so I didn't really know much about it. Uh, but I, I bought it, and I watched it so many times since, and it's a, a nice little film about ballroom dancing in Australia, and it never fails to get you crying at the end. It never fails. It's so brilliant. It's so good. And it's so wonderful. And I was watching it and I thought, oh, this is just a clip of it. It's like, no, it was the whole film. And even though I've got it, I can still sit down and watch it again. So I was watching it. Then a friend of mine phoned after it finished, literally just as the credits were rolling, and she phoned me. And she and I said, were you watching Strictly Ballroom? She went, yes. I said, me too. She said, it gets me every time. I said, yep. You and me together. So good old sob over that one, which is great. I love it, things like that. Anyway, so I go to I go to Waitrose. They don't do yacht play, which I found a bit disappointing. And so I looked on the show. They don't do anything like that at all. I don't know why. I mean, I'm, I'm the, must be the biggest customer for this stuff. I wish they did a banana flavour. A banana flavoured drinking yoghurt. I could be happy as Larry. I really could. But uh, so instead, I walked out with six bottles of pressed cantaloupe melon juice little tiny they're quite expensive about £2.50 but luckily you know don't really need to worry about £2.50 and uh, and then watermelon juice with a bit of beetroot in it but only a little bit so you wouldn't notice and it reminded me that a short while ago about a year ago uh, some friends and I were drinking in a in a, a tapas kind of bar and they did vodka with watermelon juice oh god it was to die for and so I thought I can actually go and buy the watermelon juice and and then sort of put a bit of vodka in it. And I, I decided not to do that. I just drank the bottle of watermelon juice. Only little bottles. Little, you know, the sort of kind that you sort of pop in your pocket. Really nice. Really nice. So I sort of staggered away with that. Do you know, they are the slowest staff in the entire world in Waitrose. Seriously, I, I could grow a beard in there while you're sort of waiting for it. They chat among themselves. Especially on the, the fast till. They're not remotely bothered about customers. Seriously, I mean, it's like sort of wandering into somebody's sitting room. It's all very peculiar. But uh, I suppose that's the way people like it, don't they? 84850, steve at uk, And uh, we'd like you to join in, unless you're particularly simple or stupid, in which case uh, nobody talks to you. And so you're a little bit lost on that one, aren't you? Uh, the tycoon this morning in the paper who wants to live on as a robot. And the one that really kind of got me, the police who've apologised... Uh, to the mother and the father of the teen who was groomed online. Do you remember the 14-year-old lad who was groomed by this 20-year-old and when eventually he went round there uh, and the mother had warned the police about it and they'd done, they'd done nothing. I mean, seriously. This lad goes round there and he ends up being murdered by this 20-year-old and, uh, and they've offered compensation, the police. Now... You know, it's not up to me to decide this kind of thing, but the one thing that interested me is, how do you decide on compensation for a murdered child? I mean, what would be the price for a child who was murdered because of incompetence? What would be... I don't know how much you'd put on that. I really don't. I mean, I really don't. If somebody said to me, listen, uh, we'll actually cut off your arm and we give you some money for it, and you go, well, I don't know how much that's worth. I don't know what an arm is. If you lose a child, if a child is murdered, even though you have highlighted to the police the big problem with online grooming. I don't know how they decide. Would that be worth a million? Two million? Three? How do you put the price on a, on a child? I don't, I don't know how you put the price. I bet it was nothing like that. I've just got a feeling it was nothing like that at all. Uh, what else we got on stage? Uh, Madonna still boozing, still droning on about her son. He really doesn't like you, dear. The, the, uh, I mean, surely you can tell that he doesn't like you because... He's sitting in a courtroom. He doesn't want to be with you. 
He really doesn't. I mean, you do get the case where sort of parents smother children to the point of the kids retreat. And in this particular case, this is Rocco, who is her son with uh, with Guy Ritchie, and um, he doesn't want to be with his mother. And I can understand it. She's quite clearly, you know, she's she, she's not the full shilling, is she? Let's face it, the lights are on, but nobody's home. The lift does not go to the top floor. All the usual ones that you can trot out. But uh, the more she does it, as I said yesterday, and the day before, and the day before that, you know, it's a case of, once he turns 16, he doesn't, really, doesn't want to be anywhere near her. At the moment, he doesn't want to be near her. He hates her. And the more she drags his name through the mud and embarrasses him, the more he doesn't want to be with her. What she should have done is left him alone. But, of course, being Madonna, she's, as I say, not not the full packet... Oh, I love my coffee. And um, and I think she's just putting distance between him and her. So, you know, entirely her making. Entirely her making. Uh, Steve, never mind petrol station water prices. I was once charged a pound for Tic Tacs, says Les. Oh, I think that sounds quite reasonable, Tic Tacs. It's water, though, isn't it? You know, more than petrol. But, I mean, come on, who, who does not enjoy a bottle of water in the car? I've got... Um, I always carry bottles of water in the car. In fact, I must have about 30 bottles of water in the car at the moment. Little bottles of that pure water thing, which makes it look as though it's been impregnated with something very exciting that's going to do me some good. And, uh, and because it, it's been cold out recently... Sorry for the itchy nose. Um, I'm going to sneeze. <coughs> Thank you. <coughs> and two. And might be another one. <coughs> Thank you. There you go. Honestly, this place is just full of dust. I don't know how I'm surviving here. I must, I must have some allergy... Perhaps it's an allergy to studios. I don't know. I've never thought about that. Perhaps I'm allergic to microphones. You know, Petri Hoskin, she brings her own mic muffin. Seriously, she brings her own mic muffin. I wouldn't mind, but I deliberately go to her and sneeze over them, then put them back in the bag, just to see if she's noticed it. She does. She brings her own mic muffin. And I never thought about that before. And yet people put their own, you know, you, you sort of use headphones that somebody else has used. I don't know. There's all these things, you know. At the moment, I've become chair central. Outside my studio door, there are chairs. I've got so many chairs out here, I thought it was a doctor's waiting room. So I sat down waiting, and nobody came out and asked to see me. So I just took, took my clothes off and just sort of sat there for a few minutes and coughed a few times. And uh, still nobody came out, so I put my clothes back on, came in the studio, and, and I'm doing the programme now for you. But I've got so many chairs out there, seriously. I mean, there must be about six. And then, apparently, there's a, they, they've done something with a room that's opposite me, which used to be called The Hub. OK? The Hub. Um... Which is very exciting. Now, we are the unicorns. And I don't know what they are. I don't know what they... But I just know that they've got a load of sweets. They've got licorice all sorts in there. They've got lollipop. They've got loads of stuff. This is like going to be... Has some, have you taken from there? You're going to be in so much trouble. You know that every one of those lollipops and sweeties is microchipped. And when you go out the building, they, you're going to have to go through one of those arches that... Oh, right. Australians, I think, just pinch anyway, don't they? Don't they do that? They just, I, think, I think the very idea that when, when the first shop opened in Australia, they just thought it was a free-for-all, and they just go in. I could tell you, I must tell you, this, this is a very, very true story. A friend of mine used to live off the Edgware Road, and the Edgware Road is sort of slightly cosmopolitan, slightly cosmopolitan. Put it this way, you, you don't walk with a dog down the Edgware Road. People throw themselves into doorways. Seriously. I mean, it, 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 it's worth watching. But there used to be a Woolworths there, and Woolworths used to have pick and mix. Well, as in the Edgware Road, they just thought it was free sweets. So people would go in there and pick up handfuls and just wander around. Eat a bit like the Australians. The Australians do the same sort of thing, only they do it with booze. And the women do it with booze. And you would think that they would take their own bottle opener. No, with their teeth. Have you seen Australian women? <laughs> they can open bottles like that. 
Seriously, they are so tough. Seriously, you don't want to argue with Sheila's over there. I mean, the, I mean, the women are butcher than the blokes in Australia. That's why the bloke. That's why you've all over here, Australian blokes. They're getting away from the women. They don't want to go back home again. Have you seen? T- I mean, seriously, I used to go to this bar down in Shepherd's Bush, and it was uh, it was it's like a walkabout bar. Uh, although nobody did much walking apart from the women. They were chucking the booze back like there was no tomorrow. They had thighs like sequoias. Seriously, I mean, they could crush men at 20 paces. Seriously. That's why all the Australians over here, you think they're all slightly whoopsie and ride side saddle on bicycles, you know. It's not that, it's just that they've been intimidated over the years, which is horrible. So when they come to us here at LBC, we like to look after them and make them feel that, you know, everything's okay in the world. They don't need to worry anymore. They can be, you know, and they've, some of them have even grown beards, so they look more like their mothers. And that's quite a nice... No, I mean, I, I meant that in a nice caring kind of way. I don't want anybody to think that I'm bitter and twisted in any way, shape or form. And that's why more people listen to this programme than feed their pet on Crufts pedigree chum or whatever it happens to be. Yes, more people listen to this programme, mainly because they can't believe it. So people go around going, have you heard him? Have you heard him? Unbelievable. I'm Steve Allen. More to come shortly as I look back at some of the highlights from my early breakfast show here on LBC. This is Steve Allen with a look back at some of the highlights from my weekday early breakfast show on LBC. Dave Ranks is the first time somebody's probably said no to Madonna. Oh, I should imagine it probably is. I should imagine you, you're probably not far short of the mark on that one because uh, she's used to getting her, her own way. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's something like, you know, um, he doesn't want to stay with you. I'm going to court. I'm getting him back. And so she goes to... It's not going to happen, is it? It's really, really. And uh, somebody says, can I nominate my local Waitrose in Enfield as the slowest service ever ever known to man? The fact they now give out free coffee on production of a loyalty car brings the pensioners in and they treat it like a social club. Yeah, I actually saw somebody buy a packet of mints the other day and claim a free coffee, said Steve the Milkman. It's. I mean, I can't believe how slow they are. I mean, I think most, I think the average age in R1 in Twickenham must be about 80. Seriously. Hello. Yeah, hi. Oh, oh, just get on with it. Put the stuff, please. And of course, the worst thing is you have to pack your own bag. I get very upset. I get very upset if they don't open the bags for me. I demand that. If I'm paying 10p for a bag, you blooming well open it for me. Steve, you're right about Australian women. My friend's neighbour, she's got the body of a bloke. No, that, that probably is a bloke, actually. It's a little bit... I know it's difficult to tell, isn't it, really, in Australia? I mean, because the trouble is, I mean, they are supposed to be the body beautiful. Why we get the rejects over here, I've got no idea. All the ones I ever see in all the photographs on Bondi Beach and all the, uh, all the lifeguards, they all look fit. And everybody's very... You know, they remind me a lot of me, actually. They remind me a lot of me in a pair of bright yellow Speedos. Sometimes I stand there in front of the bathroom mirror thinking, do you know... If only you lost three stones, Steve, you'd be there and grew hair. It'd be fantastic. But they do. So all, all the ones that you get in Australia and on all the soaps, they're all the attractive ones. We get the unattractive ones of it. I think Qantas must be absolutely full of just, you know, there's a, I think there's obviously a terminal probably somewhere. And it's got attractive people down this way and then ugly people down here and then women on this one over here. And sometimes the lines get confused between the uglies and the women. And they go, you know, and they have to, have you seen that sometimes? I don't, I don't want to be rude about it, but, you know, they have to balance the plane up. So when they get on the plane, the stewardess, who's more like sort of a road marshal, you know, you, right hand side, right hand side, I told you. 
you know, right hand, and then other people the other side. And so, generally speaking, by, you know, benchmark, three Australian blokes to one Australian woman. OK, that's, the, if you were balancing them up on scales, that's what it would be like. <sighs> oh, dear. What is it about the, the Australians that make you feel kindly disposed to the fact that we're here and they're over there? You know, and we don't want to sort of meet. Anybody go to St. Patrick's Day the other day? I saw some of the floats coming in. Who is remotely interested? I mean, honestly, do the Irish really go, oh, this is really exciting. We're really, we've got a float with a, with a dinkum digger on it or something. I mean, who cares? That sounds like an Australian expression, a dinkum digger. I think they have them over there, don't they? Fair dinkum, Steve. Fair dinkum. I haven't actually got any Australian friends. That's obviously to my credit. It's not that I've, I've, I don't really, I don't really need any friends. I've got lots of acquaintances, but not. I don't want any more friends. Thank you very much indeed. It's bad enough at Christmas time at the moment without having to worry about anything else. Anyway, uh, Steve, never mind the teeth. I was once in an Aussie bar and the cabaret included a woman who opened bottles. Did she really? Good heavens above. Well, there you go. You live and learn on this program. It's quite exciting, isn't it? Actually, I don't know. Who would be a, the, the top Australian entertainer? I don't know who would be, you know, the, the, the sort of the big Australian entertainer. Who is, who is the biggest person? Who's the biggest person in Australia? Would it be Barry Humphreys? Probably not. It's mainly entertainers from here who go out to Australia. They don't actually have any sort of, any sort of comedians in Australia, apart from... Most of them, because they're all funny, aren't they? But they, don't, they, 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 they generally do. I mean, if you want to see what Australia's really like, get Priscilla's wedding out. OK, that, that's what it'll be like. It's, it's very similar to that. A lot of Australian men cross-dress and, uh, and go out to the outback. I'd like to go, just, just, but it's such a long flight. I can't sit on a plane for 28 hours. I really can't. I'm, I'm trying to arrange, at the moment, with the help of a friend of mine, a trip to Las Vegas. Las Lust Wages Nevada. I, I fancy going there, uh, but I want to go and see David Copperfield, the magician, and I want to go and see David's collection. Now, David Copperfield, as most magicians will tell you, if, they, if they're half as good as they think they are, will know that David Copperfield has the best collection of magical memorabilia anywhere. It's stored in a warehouse. It's that big. It's huge. He buys everything. If there is a, you know, I mean, he has limitless money. It's literally, it just goes on and on and on. So he can buy everything. He's got Houdini things. He's got stuff that goes back, you know, so many years. Masculine and Avant. He's got cloths from the back of the stages. He's got everything. The only thing he doesn't have, and the only thing that I would ever want to see, well, not the only thing, but one of the things I'd want to see, is the stage curtain that they wrapped Chung Ling Su in. Chung Ling Su was um, a magician. He was British. I think he was British. I'm pretty certain he was British. And um, he decided to perform as, uh, as a Chinese man. And so it made it easier, because in his interviews, he never spoke. He had an interpreter, and he was like... And they would then interpret for him, but it was all an act. And uh, he used to do the bullet-catching trick. Paul Daniels recreated it on television uh, many, many years ago. Now, I think you'll probably still find it on YouTube, with, uh, with Debbie playing the part of Chung Ling Su's wife. And they, wasn't, they, they, they weren't sure at the time what went wrong. But the idea was he was going to do the bullet catch. And the bullet catch involved putting a marked bullet. You know, somebody put a, a mark on it. They put it in the gun. And he had the, the, the guy there who actually fired the shot that night. And he, uh, and he would then fire at Chung Ling Su, who would then catch the bullet between his teeth and then sort of fall, fall backwards. There was a little bit of artistic licence, as you can well imagine. If you know, Chung Ling Su hadn't done it properly, would have taken all his teeth out. But anyway, on this particular evening at the Wood Green Empire, Chung Ling Su went to do the famous bullet catch trick, and he died as a result. 
uh, he was killed. But they wrapped him in the stage curtain. And I've often wondered where that curtain has gone to. Somewhere in and around London, could be languishing in a shed or a garage, is a piece of curtain stained with the blood of Chung Ling Su, who is Hector Robinson. William Robinson? Hector Robinson. But I've got a piece of his notepaper. He had um, his, um, his son used to go to the Magic Circle, and years and years ago he had a big stack of his father's notepaper and it's beautiful it's in gold with dragons all around the outside so I got it framed up and I have a piece Lo- loads of people have it loads of people have pieces of that paper but it was just it was all part of the uh, of the act it was it was a lovely thing to have but I'd love to find or stumble across you know an old house and you go down in the basement and there is um, there is the curtain that was wrapped around the body of Chung Ling Su. That would be, a, that would be a, a piece of curtain to find. Actually, talking of uh, finding things, I think the Davenport family, I think Betty Davenport and her husband, are selling a lot of um, the stuff that they accumulated over the years. It's going to be sold in America. And I think it comes up very, very shortly. Obviously not sold in this country, because there are more collectors, more people with money in America who will pay good top dollar for stuff. I've been to a few uh, magical auctions to buy things, and I've I've, I've been quite lucky, because in this country you get it a lot cheaper. But in America, they're obviously looking for top dollar, so uh, I'm hoping to see the catalogue anytime soon. This is Steve Allen with a look back at some of the highlights from my weekday early breakfast show on LBC. More to come after the news. I'm Steve Allen, and this is your chance to listen again, or even for the first time, to some of the highlights of my weekday early breakfast show on LBC. Now, the story was, as you remember, and I'll encapsulate it and make it as succinct as I possibly can for you, that Top Gear... And do you know how much this programme is running at per episode? Do you know what it's running at now? I mean, to be honest with you, you you, you could run a small radio station for a year on it. £650,000 per episode. 600, that's nearly a million pounds per episode. What in God's name are they doing? £650,000 of your money. And this is the BBC supposedly saving money. Well, they might as well close down local radio. Seriously, all their local radio should go immediately. 650000 for a programme that will get a pitifully small audience. It'll be lucky to pull two million. If it gets any more than that, you know, I'll be very surprised. So they decide that Matt LeBlanc... It's going to go out there and they're going to have this bloke. They've obviously booked him for so many days. So they had him outside uh, St Paul's Cathedral. By the way, for the lady who wrote to me saying, I felt sorry for the couple getting married. It was a fake wedding, dear. It was a fake wedding. and They were all in on it. It was all, it was all you know, done for the cameras. And uh, so Matt LeBlanc does it. Never funny in Friends. Never funny. And, um, or in any other programme he's ever done. And so they decide to book him because this programme cannot survive with Chris Evans in America, which is rather bizarre because they didn't know who the last team were. And so they thought, let's bring in an American. So they've got seven presenters. Biggest waste of money you've ever seen. There must be other programmes at the BBC spitting blood going £650,000. And you've upset Britain's war dead. I mean, you know, the one thing that you don't upset. And I would have thought that somebody with half a brain cell, even a tiny brain cell, would realise that if you do anything near a memorial which honours people who gave their lives, you are playing with fire. Seriously, you're playing with fire. And so they have a car doing these, this sort of spinny wheelie kind of thing, in full view of the cenotaph. Whether it was by the cenotaph, it doesn't make any difference. It was in full view of the cenotaph. And what is the biggest load of cobblers that you've ever heard in your entire life is the excuse that came out yesterday that this will never be shown. 
That's what Chris, Chris Evans said. I apologise unreservedly because he's the executive producer. He tried to make it out yesterday. And don't get me wrong, I'm a big fan of him. He knows he's not stupid. He knows exactly what he's doing because he has successful programmes. On this one, he made a huge mistake. And the mistake was you involved a war memorial to the dead of the world wars. You really, really screwed up big time on this time. Really, really screwed up big time. The, I mean, you might as well have filmed in a cemetery, you know, and just driven the car through, through the cemetery and gone, well, it doesn't make any difference, does it? Because that's how bad it is. It's as bad as that and then some. Because we've all lost people in the wars. I lost some of my family. You probably lost some of your family. And to see a programme on the television about cars and hot rods and, you know, all that kind of stuff, accelerating round parts of London which involve the cenotaph, I'm afraid, is unforgivable. So yesterday I thought, you know, I'd better tweet something and go, I think uh, that maybe heads should roll, until I realised that the head that rolls would be Chris Evans. He's the executive producer of that programme. He claims he didn't know about it till yesterday. That must be a lie. That must be. The BBC have said this. You can't just organise something that, that quickly. You've got to get permission. You've got to write to various people in London to say, we want to do this. They have to brock the roads off to make sure it's done. So you get inconvenienced. By the way, you're also going to be paying for cleaning up the roads afterwards, after all these wheel spins on it. So four months ago, the BBC claimed all this was sorted out. So either somebody's not telling Chris Evans or he's not in control of his own programme. And now that the costs have spiralled to £650,000 an episode, this, this programme, I mean, you know, you'd have been better off with the last team. They should never have tried to tinker with it. It was a, a programme last team. They did something on a racetrack. This now, the budget has spiralled out. It's almost like megalomaniacs have gone out there and they've taken, you know, as much money from the BBC coffers as they possibly can. They're supposed to be saving money. Over, I mean, nearly three quarters of a million pounds on one show? And they're axing everything that they filmed yesterday. So what would that have cost? £100,000? At least. At least £100,000. And nobody working on that programme, nobody thought we're filming near a war memorial. Nobody thought of that. I mean, dear God in heaven. You know, somebody needs to get fired for that. Who was the buffoon who came up with the idea of filming near the cenotaph? The Queen, the Royal Family, the Armed Forces, the Old Soldiers, the Chelsea Pensioners, they all march past it. And you're doing bloody, excuse me, you're doing wheelies by it. I think we want a bit more than an apology. I seriously think we want more than an apology. This programme should be axed immediately. If this was anybody else, they'd have gone to prison. Last one did go to prison for swinging on it, if you remember. I mean, it's just, it's just not on. And I don't care whether you support, you know, the programme. And I told you before, big fan of Chris Evans. He's not a stupid man. He's very, very clever. But this was his biggest cock-up of all time. The, you know, all the old soldiers are going to be going, you did what? As far as they're actually concerned, that's as good a sight of the war dead as anywhere in Europe. That's what it is. That's, it's a monument. The cenotaph is a monument to those people who died. And you've just basically gone, stick your two fingers up at it. And it's not on. It's not on. And I suspect that uh, something's going to happen. It better do. Otherwise, again, typical BBC, isn't it? Burying its head in the sand. You know, uh, Jimmy Savile at uh, 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 the BBC. I can't believe it. No, really. Let's dismiss that one. Rush it under the carpet. You know, everything brushed under the carpet. The other day, what did we have? A paedophile being, being fated by BBC programmes because he was a good rapper. But as we, as we discovered over the weekend, uh, if you put his sort of rapper name in, he doesn't come up with anything. 
because he wasn't charged under his rapper name. He was charged under his real name. He's a convicted paedophile. He's on the sex offenders list for seven years, for God's sake. And there they are, putting him on all these radio shows. Yeah, you're really great. You're this. He's a paedophile. And the BBC go, ooh, ooh, how did that happen? It's because you're not in control of what's going on down there. Somebody can actually book something in London and nobody at the BBC knows anything about it. Nothing. They know nothing. Eyes closed, but you're paying for it. You're paying for it. That's going to cost you a small fortune to get out of that one. Even the son of says, you donut, Evans. He's boss, but claims ignorance. Stunt planned for four months, says BBC. He says he learned of it only yesterday. It's not possible. It is not possible. What, the executive producer of the programme doesn't know what the hell the staff are doing? What, so somebody goes and books it and gets, oh, you, you can't have Matt LeBlanc tomorrow because he's filming this thing. Oh, right, OK. Didn't know anything about it. No, no. Apart from the fact that he turned up in his pyjamas, I'm assuming that's considered funny. But uh, nevertheless, uh, that will probably cost you about £100,000. I was right. I said 100000 and that's exactly what it is. It's just absolutely appalling. It is, I mean, you know, you might think maybe I'm egging the pudding a little bit, and I am. I am egging the pudding. But frankly, you know, I think it's about time we learnt a little bit of respect in this country. And I couldn't give a flying forex if it's, if it's Top Gear or Blue Peter or Danger Mouse. I couldn't care less. It's a case of you're dishonouring the war dead. And when you do that, you've crossed that line between decency and utter filth. And that's the way it's coming out. I'm sorry. It's, something's got to be done at the BBC. And somebody somewhere's got to take responsibility of it. If you really think that you could... I'll tell you what, why don't you just, you know, why, why are you bothering doing anything at the Cenotaph anyway, BBC? And getting sort of, and here comes Her Majesty. Why do you bother with that? Why don't you just have a car running into it and run them down? Make it a bit of fun, would it, for Top Gear? Probably would, actually, really. Uh, I find it difficult, says Pat, to believe that Chris Evans did not know about this episode. Also appalled by the cost of it. £650,000 a show. £650,000. For what? For a pile of doggy-doos, ladies and gentlemen. For something that's not even going to be shown. £650,000. That's how out of control it's got. It's ridiculous. Steve, I've just been fined 600 quid as I've defaulted on two of my TV licence payments. I want to pay, but I couldn't. Now it's even harder. Well, you'll probably go to prison, I should imagine. That's what happens to people like you. Hanging, I think. Hanging in prison for not having a licence. Yes. I mean, it makes me want to not pay a licence, actually. It really makes me want... You know, I'm, I'm so angry about it. I couldn't be angrier if I tried. I'm equally angry about Crufts. You know, a ghastly dog show at the best of times. And uh, here it is. Uh, not the first time... That, uh, that a dog has been crippled. This one here is crippled on its back legs. Uh, and uh, the other one was uh, the Kennel Club refused to mark down docked tails in 95, despite vets br- branding it cruel. A 2004 judge quit over claims she was a puppy farmer. They've got more, you know, obscenities going on within Crufts than you could ever shake a stick at. And so here... This German shepherd won best in breed. It's got a sloping back and appeared to struggle to walk during the parade. And this wins. I mean, you know, I don't kind of get it either. Although, actually, if you really don't want to upset yourself today, you don't want to look in some of the papers because they've got uh, pictures of uh, dead puppies. And the only reason I mention it is you know how angry I get about people who puppy farm or who traffic dogs. I would happily have them strung up. I think it's absolutely the most appalling trade. There is a dreadful picture of a load of puppies, about six or seven of them. They've been dumped. They're dead. They're dead puppies. They didn't make it through the system. Uh, And there's hard and fast rules, which I'll give to you. You'd never want to buy a puppy that's under eight weeks old. You really need to see the mother. 
in most cases, these uh, puppies are trafficked. If they die, they just throw them in the hedgerow. They couldn't care less about them. They're not really interested. These people aren't animal lovers. They're, they're people after a bit of cash. They're vile, despicable people. And once I've told you what to look for, hopefully you will be better informed. Because that's what we like this programme to be. We like to do, you know, the light bits and the hard bits and the, and the silly bits and the bits you go, oh, that's nice, isn't it? But if you really want to cheer yourself up, it's back to Happy Feet and the Dancing Penguins with Lord of the Dance. I mean, that's the kind of thing we need first thing in the morning. Uh, still to come, James Martin on tour. The ladies are out there. Oh, they fancy James Martin. They really fancy him. You know, that man can flip an egg and people go... Oh. And he's, uh, he's doing a 32-date sellout tour. I get roughly the same on this programme. I start the 4am spike and a lot of people go... Oh. They do. <laughs> Not in a good way. Not in a good way. Uh, plus, we found a fat boy. Uh, Madonna's at it again. And uh, the stroke man. Talk properly, they said to him. Talk, he's had a stroke. Talk properly. Can he talk properly? And the Auschwitz guard. Too sick for trial. He's 95. Oh, no, no. I don't believe you're ever too sick for trial. He apparently saw nothing, knew nothing that went on at Auschwitz. Perhaps he was deaf and dumb and blind at the same time. I'm Steve Allen. More to come shortly as I look back at some of the highlights from my early breakfast show here on LBC. I'm Steve Allen, and until 7 o'clock this morning, this is the best of my shows from the week. Don't forget you can hear me every weekday morning from 4 until 6.30 here on LBC. Uh, other stories in the uh, papers today. Great to hear the patriotism in you, Steve. There's no patriotism in it, although I am extremely patriotic. I'm extremely proud of what our forces do for this country because I come from a forces family, so I'm extremely proud of it. I just think it's taken the... You know, I just think it is... I think it's wrong on so many levels, the idea that Top Gear would go out there and I don't care whether they want to spin a car round in the streets of London. I'm not bothered about that. It's the fact it was within sight of the Cenotaph and it was quite close to the Cenotaph. And that's what really annoys me more than anything. That is the memorial in this country for thousands and thousands and possibly millions of war dead. That's, that's their spot. And I don't want to see some... Oh, I nearly said another rude word again. <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel quite quite passionate about it. I don't think it's right. I feel as passionate about that as I do about quite a number of things, including puppy farming and people who traffic dogs. Filthy, vile vermin they are. The people, incidentally, as opposed to the uh, the dogs. And the Auschwitz guard. He's too sick to stand trial. He's 95. He says he knew nothing. He saw nothing. Didn't take part in anything at all. What were you doing, darling? Baking bread? Sitting at the sidelines, were you? What did you think was going on? Things like that that really annoy me as well. You should get annoyed about them too. It's very good to get annoyed, you know that. Somebody said to me a short while ago, oh, you must give yourself, you know, you must give yourself high, high blood pressure. I said, no, no, not at all. I said, it's very good. It gets the blood pumping through your veins. First thing in the morning, my driver this morning, he's a 4am spiker. He's probably heading home now. He lives in Dulwich. Uh, he's been driving uh, cars for a few years. Used to be a police officer. And there was a story attached to it, but I won't tell you what it is, because that would be betraying a confidence. But uh, he listens uh, every morning, because that's what people do. You've got to get... If you don't get fired up about something you read about in the newspaper, what is the point of living? What is the point of having an opinion? It must be awful being a BBC presenter. Can't have any opinions at all. Sitting there on BBC Radio Paynton, BBC Radio Porth Call. BBC, oh, close the bloody lot down, I tell you. you want to save some money, because things they're shoving it all into Top Gear. Close them all down. Don't make any difference to me. Their, their, their audiences are so pitifully small. I mean, if you see it, when we do our our uh, our radar figures and we show all the, the figures of all the, the stations in London. I mean, the BBC one, I mean, at one point it just disappears. It falls off the end. Nobody's listening. 
I mean, just nobody is listening. It's too small to even measure. That's how bad... And you're paying for that. You're paying for it. So I think the idea is just close them all down, you know. Turn them into sort of coffee shops or something like that. Or, you know, bring and buy shops. Or perhaps a charity shop. That'd be nice, isn't it? The Top Gear charity shop. We can put all the blooming presenters in there. He, here are the questions that need to be answered. And I, I, I will sort of make this the last bit about Top Gear because I've got so many other things I want to do. As well as the, uh, the chimes up for the ice cream vans in Worcester. I'll tell you about that in a moment. So here, here, here are the questions. This is a £100,000 filming episode, and you can see the cameras, and you can see that they're within full sight of the cenotaph. In fact, it's practically, you know, I mean, the, the wheel spins are very as near to the cenotaph as you can get. So the questions are, uh, whose idea was it to film the scenes as close to the cenotaph? Somebody's got to take responsibility for this. So either they're going to push it onto some minion... Or somebody's head's going to roll over this. Who takes responsibility for signing off the stunt? In other words, you will sit down. You cannot, even even here, you know, if the Nick Ferrari programme decides to do a, a segment about so-and-so, they will have a meeting about it. Then it will have to go to, uh, they'll all sit down and go, right, so we want to do this, this, and Nick will say, I'd like that, and whatever. And then it goes to somebody else, and they'll go, OK, we'll, we'll arrange cars for doing this and that. Somebody somewhere signs it off, and on the BBC for a £100,000 stunt, and you've got to get all the paperwork in order. You've got to write to the City of London, I'm assuming, or, uh, or to the metropolitan boroughs. Uh, who is the new executive in charge of Top Gear, and did they know? In other words, I was told the executive producer was Chris Evans. Is he? What was said to council to approve filming and was it kept to? In other words, did they say we're going to be filming near the cenotaph doing wheelies? Or has somebody lied? And finally, after military groups' objections, do you plan to show full segment? You know, I mean, it is absolutely... I mean, you can see the tyre marks next to the monument to the women of World War Two. The tyre marks, they're clearly visible. That's all got to be cleaned off. And you thought that was funny, did you? Somebody in the Top Gear office thinks that's funny, apparently. They think that makes a good bit of television. I said the other day, they're getting all the wrong publicity and for all the wrong reasons. And this is for the wrong reason. This is definitely for the wrong reason. It's not, uh, it's not right at all. Uh, 84850, Steve at LBC. Uh, somebody says, well, somebody's just pointed out what I've done. Richard says, I agree in part with what you're saying about Top Gear. Well, you think it's OK to do it near a war memorial for the dead, do you? Blimey. He said, this would have been organised months in advance. We've, I've already told you four months in advance with the approval of Westminster Council. Surely they must shoulder some of the blame. We don't know what they asked to do yet. What we've got to do is find out. They might have had approval to film from Westminster Council, which is what you need because they have to close roads off while they're doing things like this, as they do when they're filming anywhere in London. But uh, did they say they were going to be, be doing wheelies near the War Memorial? Did they say the cenotaph was going to have the wheelies there? That's what we need to find out. And I promise you, by tomorrow morning, somebody in the newspapers will have found out and found out who signed that off because somebody in Westminster Council has got that bit of paper signed by an executive. This will be the executive from the programme to actually uh, to actually say this, this is what we want to do and uh, we propose to do it on such and such a day. Amazing, isn't it? Do you think if I actually wrote to them... I think if I uh, wrote to them and said, oh, I'd, I'd quite like to get the old Bentley out and do some wheelies up the mall, you know, perhaps, you know, would that be possible? And the answer is, of course it wouldn't be. Oh, why not? Well, because it just wouldn't be. Do you have to pay to do it? Perhaps I could drum up some money from somewhere. They wouldn't let me do that at all. Oh, no, it's all right for the BBC, is it? Oh, right. Yes, the BBC who makes so many cock-ups with my money. It's got to stop, hasn't it? It's absolutely got to stop. Uh, BBC's out of control, says Maggie. As for Crufts, disgusting. 
Kennel Club should be held accountable as they don't do checks on the breeders. Well, I've lost track over the uh, over the years. I've I've lost track over the years of the amount of breeders who every year have been thrown out of crufts because uh, because of cruelty. We're two women one year. Oh yeah, we really love our animals. They were kicked out. They were abusing dogs. I mean, seriously. And then to have a, an Alsatian this year who looks like he's got a dislocated hip. I mean, what's going on there? The answer is, it's money to do with money, ladies and gentlemen. It's got absolutely nothing to do with dogs at all. Uh, Steve, the Top Gear stunt was shown on News at 10. There were a few poppy wreaths in place. It must have been the anniversary of somebody's loss. Good old Auntie Beeb, says Malcolm. Yeah, aren't they good? Aren't they really lovely? Really lovely. Yes, I mean, it's got to, it's got to change. It's absolutely got to change. Uh, ta 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 Katerina says, uh, um, whatever happens, I shall still tune in. She says, I've just voted for you. Hope you win. Stiff competition. Really? I think so. I don't know. This is for the, for the Radio Times voting for you. Just remember, you're not voting for programme. You're not voting for personality. You're voting for voice. Voice. That's what you, that's what you vote for. And apparently I've got a very distinctive voice. 20 of us have got very distinctive voices. They're all bigger than me, but, of course, most of them t- tend to work for the BBC. So, of course, they'll all vote. They've probably got some thing, thing going round, say, you know, you can qualify for a job on Top Gear if you vote for so-and-so, so-and-so. That's how it'll work, isn't it, really? It's just so corrupt, so corrupt. Uh, the Mirror today. Uh, cop killer was smoking pot from age of six. I sometimes think that maybe I've had a really dull, unadventurous, boring, sedentary life. I might as well have joined a monastery. Smoking pot from the age of six. I didn't even know what a cigarette was at the age of six. A sweet cigarette, yeah, but I didn't, I didn't know that there were cigarettes. I didn't know that you could actually stick, you know, leaves in your mouth and set fire to them and then inhale the smoke. We used to do it as kids, don't we? You know when you, in the winter, you used to make a little fire in, in the woods? Do you know? No, just me again. And you put some leaves on it, you go... Or you'd have a little magnifying glass. Remember that? Obviously, it seemed so simple, didn't it, years ago? A simple little thing, like a... You know, I could be amused for hours with a magnifying glass, you know, which magnified everything and make everything look bigger. And then you could use it in the, in the, in the, the, the fields with the sun on, and you could burn a hole in a leaf. And then if you... If you blew very gently, it would burst into flames. We were like early cavemen. You know, it was fantastic. You know, you could you could make a little fire and then you put a few leaves on and a few little twigs. You'd have a little fire and then you could toast your marshmallows if you were that close. And um, and you could do, we used to love toasting marshmallows, things like that. And and then nowadays the kids have got to have bikes to do wheelies and they've got to, they've got to have technology. They've got to have all this stuff that we never had. Piece of chalk. I was as happy as Larry. I've got balls that you can bang together and get sparks out of. You never knew that, did you? I bought them in uh, in Hong Kong. I think they're called bang balls. I think so. Producer's looking very interested now. He's never heard of these before. Did you never see them? They're really good. You know caps? Do you remember caps years ago that you put in your in your gun and it and you went and they were on a little reel, came in a little cardboard box. Well, the same stuff that made the caps was coating these balls. And if you held two of them in your hand and screwed them together, they would crackle. It would crack. And so they called them bang balls. Rip boring, is it? Oh, no. he, he once camped by a billabong under the shade of a coolibar tree and uh, he sang as... Oh, anyway, it doesn't matter. And uh, so, but I was, you know, I was at that time squeezing my balls together quite a lot and, uh, and it was fantastic. Honestly, the things we were easily pleased with. 
You know, you go to the seaside now, you've got to take an army of stuff. In my day, a bucket and spade and a little packet of flags of all nations. And you could and you could make then sandcastles and then you could dig a hole round them and you could go down to the sea and, and you could fill, fill your bucket with water and come back and then pour it into the moat. And then, and then go back down, because by the time he came back, it all evaporated into the sand again. And then you could put a thing in, and marble tracks. You know, a bag of marbles and me. What it is with spherical objects, I've got no idea. But anyway, so a bag of marbles and conkers and stuff. Simple things. So blooming complicated, isn't it, now? It's just so complicated. You know, you look at the bewildering array of kids' toys out there and you think, oh, Lord, save me from all of this. Now it's just so expensive. This is Steve Allen with a look back at some of the highlights from my weekday early breakfast show on LBC. More to come after the news. This is Steve Allen with a look back at some of the highlights from my weekday early breakfast show on LBC. Plus, Victoria Beckham is selling the Range Rover she designed. Ha, 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 ha. She never designed a Range Rover. It's got covers with VB written on them. She never designed... What do you mean? She designed an engine? Dear Lord above, they do try and overhype and over-egg the pudding, don't they? Uh, Ola Jordan is going to write a tedious book about uh, Strictly. How boring. Nothing else in the diary is that this year, love. Must be looking a little bit quiet for both of you. Imagine two people's careers go down the pan at the same time. Uh, Prince Andrew had another one of his little tantrums again. This time he smashed through a gate, apparently. And uh, the latest Ferris wheel is in Dudley in the West Midlands. It's very exciting in Dudley. You'll talk like that. That's where Lenny Henry comes from. I'm the, I've come to the conclusion I'm the master of the, of, of the, of the impression. There's nobody comes anywhere. What do you mean, no? Cheeky sod. No, I can. I could do Dudley. Dudley, they're all sound as a terribly boring. You know, they've all got voices like that. Just got around to Lady Henry's house. Uh, the Burka sisters who nobbled the juror. Honestly, there's more bent people out there than you can shake a stick at. And uh, Michael Jackson's part catalogue has just sold to Sony for £526 million. Pounds. Uh, and, of course, the kids get that. goes into his estate, which is good. Mother Teresa could rise from the gutter as a saint. I didn't know anything about Mother Teresa, apart from that she was very short, never made a decent pop record, never did any modelling or anything like that, but she sort of, she helped the poor in the slums of India. And, and that's all I know. And she wore a tea towel on her head, and it was always white and blue. I can always see white and blue, white and blue, and then other people took it on. I'm surprised she wasn't. I thought she'd been made a saint already. I thought she was Saint Teresa. But she's obviously not, so they're thinking about making her a saint, which is quite nice, isn't it? Uh, British teens feel fat and stressed... And uh, the couple who got married have been round the world. That's not in the bedroom, by the way. That's, uh, they've actually been around the world. They've been loads of places. They've, in eight days, they went to everywhere, from the Taj Mahal to the Great Wall of China. I'd love to do that. I'd love to do... Uh, the two thi- uh, there's quite a few things on my bucket list. If I was going to have a bucket list, then there would be, there'd be a few things on there. I'd like to go to Machu Picchu, but I don't want to walk it. I'm way too old and tired for that. I need, I need to be helicoptered in. And so you helicopter me into Machu Picchu. I'll have a wander around, take some pictures, then fly out again. Uh, I'd quite like to stand on an ice floe in Antarctica. I'd quite like to... I want to do that thing that I told you about ages ago, which is to go under a glacier. I want to go under a glacier. In France, I think it is. Is it France or somewhere else? Switzerland. There is a glacier that they went under. Do you remember I told you the story? There's a long tunnel. You go through this long tunnel. At the very end of it, there's a door. And you open the door and there's a wall of ice because what you're looking at is the glacier going down the hillside. So it's a wall of ice. So what they do, they get a big hose out, huge hose, and hot water and they blast through this door and they create a cavern 
So you can go in and underneath. Now, if somebody shut the door on you, you'd be imprisoned in an ice tomb. That's how dangerous it is. So what they do is they sort of make this this big sort of cavern thing with this with these hoses, and then they film in there, and you can see you're underneath the glacier, and it's moving. Then they come out, close the door, go back the next day, open the door, it's moved on. The wall and the room have moved on. You've now got the wall of ice again. Fascinating. That's that I want to do. Uh, what else do I want to do? I want to go down into the places of Hampton Court Palace that you can't go. There must be loads of cellars down there. You know, I love anything. Secret tunnels. I like secret tunnels. Anything like that keeps me very happy. What else do I want to do? I'm trying to think, actually. There's all sorts of things. I'd quite like to go... I'd, quite, I'd like to go to the Titanic. I'd like to go down to the... You can do it. You can pay. It's something like about £35,000. And they will take you down there in one of those little little things, which is two and a half miles. And then you go down and down, because and, I'm, I'm not so sure I've been pretty good at that. Anyway, and so you go down, down. Then they turn the lights on, like, you know, a bit bigger than a Duracell torch, you know. And there it is, the Titanic, right in front of you. And, and that I would like to see. That I would like to see. And then I could sing my song. Forever, and my heart will go on. You know, I'd like to sing that. <laughs> Simple life, isn't it, really? Anyway, so I came outside this morning, and apart from the fact I thought it was blooming cold, I thought it looked like sleet. It definitely, in the light of my little torch, which was a Duracell torch, um, it looked like sleet. And so I looked up at the streetlights, and I thought, it definitely feels like sleet. I suppose if it had been colder, it could have turned to snow, but it didn't. So there you go. Another, another myth shattered for you, ladies and gentlemen. But yesterday was a lovely day. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I had a very nice day yesterday. Slept really well. Had some nice food. Did uh, did lots of nice things. Went out with Lynn. We had, did did our catch up. This is my neighbour Lynn, who's uh, from Welsh Wales, and uh, she's lovely. But she's typically Welsh. She's typically all the Welsh people. I mean, she's trying to teach me Welsh. Well, I mean, it's gone nowhere. Nowhere. I only wanted to learn the words to Sospan Far, which is uh, which is like a comedy song. But um, we just don't get very far with it. I could sort of mouth along and it sort of looks as like I'm singing it. But this morning I was cheered up again. Dancing penguins, doing Lord of the Dance. I get so happy. Honestly, I've got certain things. If you're, feeling, if you're feeling sort of like, I really need that little boost before the programme. It's either a case of chuck a whiskey down, which you can't because it's this time of the morning. Or secondly, you watch Dancing Penguins doing Lord of the Dance. And it just makes you smile. And the producer's now cottoned on to what makes me smile. Well, most of the things. And he's, he's sort of sussed out that, you know, I like hairspray. I like the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. It's little things. Because somebody wrote to me yesterday. I always love it when somebody writes to me. It's always somebody who's either generally sort of in, in prison or they're on medication or they've got some sort of illness. And, and he went, I've heard your, your programme. You must be a very, very depressed person. I thought you obviously listened to the wrong programme. I couldn't be happier. He said, you obviously don't like anybody at all. And I thought... Of course not, but that's the whole idea of the programme. You know, you'd have to be a bit stupid not to realise that one. And uh, everybody yesterday, barring two people, which I thought was a really good thing, agreed with me about the cenotaph. It was a 98% result for me. 98% of people said... There was only two people, and I deleted them immediately, because one was stupid and one had been banned anyway for being, you know, a complete ignoramus. So uh, we got rid of one of them, who's apparently... He works on the water. Shame it's not under it, but never mind. And uh, so everybody agreed about the cenotaph. It was wrong. It was in poor taste. And somebody's head should roll at the BBC. And they think they found the person who's responsible. They say the BBC executive in charge of Top Gear was clinging to her job last night, pays £187,000. Quite clearly, she knows nothing about the war dead. Quite clearly, she's too young. This is Katie Taylor. The BBC's entertainment boss was yesterday named as the woman overseeing the revamped motoring show. 
But did she sign that bit of paper saying that they could film there? Westminster Council will know exactly who signed it because they'll have copies. Uh, the BBC, well, no, 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 nothing's going on. Not a clue. Not a clue what's going on. The BBC just, you know, as usual, stick their head up their bottoms and, uh, and then immerse themselves under the bathwater so nobody will ever ask them again. La, 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 don't ask us questions. We don't know anything. La, 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 la. Well, who was responsible? La, la, la. They don't know, do they? They've got no idea at all because that's what they do. They close ranks. They close ranks around Jimmy Savile. Oh, no idea. What's he doing? Really? Oh, forget about that. For goodness sake, he's a huge star on the BBC. That's the way they operate. That's the way they operate. God help them if it turns out one of their even bigger stars gets caught up in this uh, in this internet uh, mishmash which is going on at the moment. Because they'll have to... Uh, cl- I wonder if they've actually got a list of people there that they go, what about mm, this, this person? You know, there must be loads of people. I should imagine, you know, if ever you presented Top of the Pops, you must be sitting there thinking, oh, God. God, did I put my arms around anybody? Did I kiss anybody? Was it inappropriate? Was it this? Was it that? Because it turns out that years later, people then go, oh, I thought that was inappropriate. And I can't remember if I've kissed anybody recently in the building. I don't think I have. I don't think I have. I'm, I'm not generally a tactile person. I'd like to be. But I, I can't quite... I don't know why... I think it was ever since the invention of HR that it kind of put me off a little bit, you know, because I've, I, I don't really do tactile. I mean, I, I had to rack my brains and think about it the other day, thinking, who was the last person I put my arms around and gave them a good old squeeze? You know, because you feel a bit guilty that you can't do that nowadays. You know, affection seems to have gone out the window. So we've all become sort of very bland and very dull and very boring, a bit like Hillary Clinton. You wouldn't want to squeeze her, would you, really? Okay, she breaks. What does she looks like? Some waxwork. She looks like somebody who's been embalmed. Actually, I think we might have to go to America at some point during this morning just to to find out the latest. I think actually the latest in the Illinois Republican race. I think Trump's twenty one percent, Ted Cruz fifteen percent, and uh, John Casich uh, on eleven percent. So. You know, and Hillary's on 27% in the Democratic race. There's something about her I don't like. I don't know what... There's just something... You look at her and I just go, I don't like you. She looks like some... She, do you know what she looks like? She looks like Robin Williams in Mrs Doubtfire. That's exactly what she looks like. She looks like she's wearing a mask, you know, to sort of cover... And her voice is going. Do you hear her on the news earlier on when, when Charles put together that super news bulletin? And uh, and she she's she sounds like the voice is actually going in the Republican race. Donald Trump's 41 percent. Ted's on 41 percent. And the other one wasn't 48 uh, percent for Clinton. I don't know. And uh, and Bernie Sanders, 51 percent. That was the latest. I'm not sure if if most of you listening are remotely interested in what goes on in America. I've got this feeling you really couldn't care less unless it's the price of your burgers going to go up or something like that. Because if you noticed, all the fast food comes from America. All the fast food comes from America. All the, you know, the Burger King and the Colonel Sanders, the Kentucky Fried, everything. There's loads of other places. Wendy Burger, they were the best. Wendy Burgers were the best burgers. And we only had it in London for a short time and then nobody liked it. It was a square burger. It was lovely. It was lovely. Donald Trump, as you know, has, has won Florida, Illinois and North Carolina, I think, in his attempt to become the Republican's choice for US president. He's humiliated the Florida senator, Marco Rubio, on his home turf, who's since quit the race. Lost Ohio to the state governor and has a slim lead over Ted Cruz in Missouri. But, I mean, I, I have to ask you the question. Are you as interested in that as you are in the cenotaph and the abuse of the land around it? And the answer is, I don't think you are, actually. I don't think you are. Hillary Clinton's won Ohio, North Carolina and Florida, but trails Bernie Sanders by 2% in Missouri and has got a slight lead in, in Illinois. So that brings you up to speed. So you know roughly where we are in it. Any the wiser? No, I didn't think so. 
Not a clue, but talk about the cenotaph. And I, I stand by everything I said yesterday. I, d- I, I never sort of make statements that I don't and can't stand up. And I just thought they were wrong. I thought they made all the wrong decisions. It's a war memorial. I understand the fact that, you know, a friend of mine said yesterday, but there's nobody buried there. I said, it doesn't actually matter. It really doesn't matter whether anybody's buried there or not. That's what people come to look at as the symbol uh, of hope for them. That's where they would go because that's where they think the uh, the spirits of the people that they lost. And we lost millions. We lost millions. And I don't care whether it's for a soppy television programme hosted by Chris Evans or anybody. I'm really not interested. I'm more interested in the fact that uh, somebody thought that they could do wheel spins around a memorial to the war dead of this country. That is the biggest stick your fingers up to the armed forces I think I've ever seen in my entire life, apart from when that bloke swung on it, when he swung on these the cenotaph. And didn't somebody urinate on one? Oh, dear, I mean, really, you don't really know what the answer is to people like that. I'd have towed them out to sea in a little rubber dinghy and then stuck a pin in and said, there you go, bye, and let them sit there. It's just, it's just ridiculous. There's no answer to anybody who defiles a memorial to the water. Do you remember a short while ago we had somebody who stole plaques from a cemetery? These metal plaques that go on the wall of, you know, in, in crematoriums where it's, it's to honour somebody's uh, relative who's passed over. I omit to call them dead relatives. It makes it sound so awful. And, uh, and somebody went and stole them because they were selling them for cash to a scrap metal dealer. Really, it's, it's the most disgusting thing you've ever seen in your entire life. I'm sorry I've got no time for people like that. And the Top Gear programme, well, you know, any right-thinking service man and woman in this country, uh, I should imagine they'll be uh, making... Their, uh, their voices heard in the not-too-distant future. Somebody's head's got to roll over it. Somebody did that thing. Somebody went, oh, yeah, that'll be all right to do it up and down Whitehall. You know, but uh, really bad news. I'm Steve Allen. More to come shortly as I look back at some of the highlights from my early breakfast show here on LBC. <laughs> I'm Steve Allen, and this is your chance to listen again, or even for the first time, to some of the highlights of my weekday early breakfast show on LBC. Well, we mentioned uh, Donald Trump as he trumped his Republican rivals and delivered the final knockout blow. Let's find out now from LBC's US reporter on the US uh, primaries, Lorna Shaddock. Good morning. Good morning. Well, yes, uh, Donald Trump did win uh, quite a decisive victory in Florida early on uh, this Tuesday night. Uh, here in the U.S. And in fact, so decisive that the senator uh, for Florida, Marco Rubio, another Republican candidate, actually had to pull out of the race. Uh, he uh, suspended his campaign, made quite a, an emotional speech. He said America's in the middle of a political storm and voters are angry and frustrated. But he's a big uh, establishment or so-called establishment candidate. And there have been a lot of Washington money thrown behind his candidacy. But he's now out of the race. Uh, meanwhile, Ohio Governor John Kasich secured his first win uh, in his home state, Ohio. Uh, that, uh, very importantly, denied Donald Trump the 66 delegates up for grabs in Ohio. That's a big chunk of delegates that he's now not got. Uh, and that could well drag the race on uh, for quite a long time. If Donald Trump had managed to sweep the board uh, this evening, then he uh, might have uh, seen things a little differently. But uh, nonetheless, uh, an upbeat speech from Donald Trump. He said his campaign is drawing new people into the Republican Party. And then on the Democratic side, not quite so exciting, but uh, Hillary Clinton did extend her lead over the Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. Uh, she just said that her campaign is getting closer to securing the nomination uh, as, as she won in uh, several key states, including Florida, North Carolina, Carolina and Ohio. She seems to be losing her voice at the moment. I was listening to her on one of our news bulletins, uh, Lorna, and the, the strain of the campaigning is taking its toll, I fear. 
I think it does. She's, she is certainly sounding very hoarse. I heard her in New York uh, a couple of weeks ago when she came uh, here to Manhattan, and she was sounding pretty hoarse then as well. But that was right after Super Tuesday uh, when she'd done some very tiring uh, campaigning. So perhaps she be, can be forgiven uh, for, for a bit of losing your voice there. But she doesn't seem to have got any better. And I'm actually amazed that none of the other candidates aren't suffering the yeah. same thing, given how much they have to talk. I, I think as, as well, I always think, and I, this is going to sound terribly sexist, but I think for a woman to do that much talking, unless it's in the kitchen... It's is a slight problem, isn't it? <laughs> All right, Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just I walk right into it. Are the are the Americans, Lorna, as as interested as we appear to be? I mean, does this does all this rate on the television, or do the Americans just go, oh, just get on with it? Um, it does rate, I think, particularly this year. And everybody I speak to, really, all the experts that we interview in the course of our reporting are all saying this is so different from anything they have seen before. I think normally, certainly at this stage, there is kind of a bit of fatigue. People aren't that bothered about the, sort of the ins and outs of which state and who's got you know, so many delegates. But because Donald Trump has thrown this race into complete disarray and sort of torn up the rule book, people are fascinated either because they're huge fans of Donald Trump and they're desperate for him to get in or because they absolutely hate him. It's a bit like Marmite, isn't it? Uh, they, they can't stand him and they're desperate for him to lose and somehow not get the nomination or, or, or win in November. So I think he's really got everyone's attention and therefore the race itself has got everyone's attention as well. Interesting. We, we come back to you a little bit later if we can. Lorna Shaddock, LBC's uh, reporter over there in America, takes the time quite nicely to 425 which is fantastic you are listening to the program that has the biggest audience at this time bar none the 4am spike proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that more people are listening to this than anything else which is fantastic actually i always love it when somebody writes you go i shall never listen to you ever again and you think it's the same person they're they're like a parrot they just keep droning on about the same sort of things all the time which is terribly tedious so uh, over in america it's all going on over here it's budget day most of you won't won't care about budget day either all you want to know is you know will your mortgage cost more money will your booze go up will your fags go up will petrol go up that's the main things you can bring the budget down to about uh, about a minute and a half and it will be done in a minute and a half on the news bulletins later on. The time they've done it, I've done about five budgets for LBC over the years. And to be honest with you, once you've dispensed with all the rubbish about this and that and this and that, uh, all the rest of it, you then come down to the nitty gritty is... Are things going to cost you more next year? That's all it comes down to. It's not It's not anything else at all. I couldn't care less, you know, about interest rates and stuff like that. I shall still come into work. We'll all still get on with it. There's nothing you can do about it. He'll have set the budget. He'll have done it. It'll all be fine. Uh, Cathy's in Oxford. Uh, it says, I've woken early on my 65th birthday. God, you're lucky to be awake at 65, aren't you? I mean, that's the kind of worry, isn't it? When you get to 65, you think, will I be awake tomorrow morning? I don't know. You try and cram as much in. I always say to people, get up early. Because if you're feeling slightly dodgy, and you might be at 65, I don't know, uh, you know, get up there, get some toast. And yeah, I didn't have yesterday what I was going to have, but I did get from Lynn. She, uh, she took me out, she said, we go for a cup of coffee. Uh, we were going to go for lunch, and I said, no, I don't want to do lunch, because I can't do lunch too early, because otherwise it screws up my sort of, uh, the rest of my day. But anyway, so I, um, we went out, and we had two slices of toast each, two rounds of toast and a cup of coffee at a local cafe. And that was like, she, she said, I'll, I'll get it. She said, it's your birthday treat. I thought, two pieces of toast and a cappuccino. I said, is that it? Is that what I'm getting for my birthday? I said, good Lord, Lynn, I thought you could do better than that. And then to make matters worse, she pinched my strawberry jam as well. So I didn't even get to keep my strawberry jam. I mean, that is really mean, isn't it? It's really mean. But uh, I know I've got presents. I know I've got presents because they've started arriving. 
which is always very... You know, the nice thing is, if you do a job like this, which is fantastic, not only do they pay you for doing it, which is, which is the bonus as far as I'm concerned, but you get presents on your birthday and Christmas and cards and stuff like that. And I'm luckier than almost anybody on this entire station. I get loads of Christmas cards. I mean, seriously, I could have filled up the entire office last year with Christmas cards, which, uh, which is not bragging. It's just a, it's just a statement of fact. And uh, I've got presents as well. Already my, my little pigeonhole is full up with, uh, with interesting-looking boxes. Courtney's got a bag downstairs, I know that, because we were going to do it the other day. He said, oh, this bag's just arrived in, so we're going to do those. I don't like opening things before birthdays. I'm, a, I'm slightly superstitious, not terribly superstitious, but just a little bit. I don't want to sort of, you know, rock the apple cart at all. Uh, another one here, Graham says, I live in Leeds. Oh, God, you poor sod, honestly. Must be awful for you, really. And the place with sort of legalised prostitution or something like that. He said, LBC is starting to be popular around here. Oh, well, there you go. Malcolm says, if you want to see tactile, look no further than Ben Shepherd when somebody wins the jackpot. Tipping point. I quite like tipping point. I think it, it's, it's obviously stretched him intellectually. But I quite like tipping point. It's sort of interesting watching Ben trotting out another one of his naff suits. And, uh, and we will ask the question later on. Why do all the men on television programmes sit on the left-hand side of the sofa? Why, when we're looking at it, when, when they're in the studio, they're on the right-hand side. But if you look at them on the they're on the left. They all do it. Eamon, fat boy, fat Holmes. He does it with Ruth. Yeah. Uh, Philip Schofield does it. It's almost as if the men are leading the programme and the women are just a little bit of extra on the side. It's not very nice, is it? I would like to see maybe, you know, in, in the case of, uh, of poor old Piers Drogan, I think really Susanna should be sitting on the other side because she's far better than he is. He's, he's not very good at all. He's just a bit sort of, he's, he's sort of naff, I so want to be in show business kind of thing. And he's not, he's not really very good at it. Not really very good. That's why he was fired as a newspaper editor. Uh, 84850, uk, And uh, Jane uh, listened uh, yesterday and says, I agree with everything everything um, that you said about the truly appalling behaviour of the Top Gear team at the Cenotaph. She said, uh, I'm disgusted that the BBC claimed the filming was 40 yards away from the Cenotaph, as if that makes it acceptable. Horrifies me that Chris Evans, the executive producer, claims he was unaware of it. I mean, you know, and to think Jeremy Clarkson didn't have his contract renewed because he disrespected the producer. Well, he did hit him. He did hit him. And uh, to be honest with you, I mean, I wasn't there, so I don't know what went on, and I couldn't really care less. I mean, sometimes I think producer. I mean, I've got a producer here this morning. I mean, yeah, you know, like that. But uh, it's you know, and and that's when the program all went pear shaped, didn't it? All went all went downhill when they decided we're going to get rid of him. So the BBC makes some sort of fantastic statement about we're going to get rid of Jeremy Clarkson, and it was that moment that the program collapsed like the pack of cards, and it's gone from disaster to disaster. Six hundred and fifty thousand pounds a show. Six. My God in heaven, what's the budget for the one show? About threepence, I should imagine, compared to that. This is Steve Allen with a look back at some of the highlights from my weekday early breakfast show on LBC. More to come after the news. I'm Steve Allen, and this is your chance to listen again, or even for the first time, to some of the highlights of my weekday early breakfast show on LBC. Well, we mentioned uh, Donald Trump as he trumped his Republican rivals and delivered the final knockout blow. Let's find out now from LBC's US reporter on the US uh, primaries, Lorna Shaddock. Good morning. Good morning. Well, yes, uh, Donald Trump did win uh, quite a decisive victory in Florida early on uh, this Tuesday night uh, here in the US. And in fact, so decisive that the senator 
uh, for Florida, Marco Rubio, another Republican candidate, actually had to pull out of the race. Uh, he uh, suspended his campaign, made quite a, an emotional speech. He said America's in the middle of a political storm and voters are angry and frustrated. But he's a big uh, establishment or so-called establishment candidate. And there's been a lot of Washington money thrown behind his candidacy. But he's now out of the race. Uh, meanwhile, Ohio Governor John Kasich secured his first win uh, in his home state, Ohio. Uh, that, uh, very importantly, denied Donald Trump the 66 delegates up for grabs in Ohio. That's a big chunk of delegates that he's now not got. Uh, and that could well drag the race on uh, for quite a long time. If Donald Trump had managed to sweep the board uh, this evening, then he uh, might have uh, seen things a little differently. But uh, nonetheless, uh, an upbeat speech from Donald Trump. He said his campaign is drawing new people into the Republican Party. And then on the Democratic side, not quite so exciting, but uh, Hillary Clinton did extend her lead over the Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. Uh, she just said that her campaign is getting closer to securing the nomination uh, as, as she won in uh, several key states, including Florida, North Carolina, Carolina and Ohio. She seems to be losing her voice at the moment. I was listening to her on one of our news bulletins, uh, Lorna, and the, the strain of the campaigning is taking its toll, I fear. I think it does. She's, she is certainly sounding very hoarse. I heard her in New York uh, a couple of weeks ago when she came uh, here to Manhattan and she was sounding pretty hoarse then as well. But that was right after Super Tuesday uh, when she'd done some very tiring uh, campaigning. So perhaps she be, can be forgiven uh, for, for a bit of losing your voice there. But she doesn't seem to have got any better. And I'm actually amazed that none of the other candidates aren't suffering the yeah. same thing, given how much they have to talk. I, I think as, as well, I always think, and I, this is going to sound terribly sexist, but I think for a woman to do that much talking, unless it's in the kitchen is a slight problem, isn't it? <laughs> All right, Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'll just I'll walk right into it. Are the, are the Americans, Lorna, as, as interested as we appear to be? I mean, does, this, does all this rate on the television, or do the Americans just go, oh, just get on with it? Um, it does rate, I think, particularly this year. And everybody I speak to, really, all the experts that we interview in the course of our reporting are all saying this is so different from anything they have seen before. I think normally, certainly at this stage, there is kind of a bit of fatigue. People aren't that bothered about the, sort of the ins and outs of which state and who's got you know, so many delegates. But because Donald Trump has thrown this race into complete disarray and sort of torn up the rule book, people are fascinated either because they're huge fans of Donald Trump and they're desperate for him to get in or because they absolutely hate him. It's a bit like Marmite, isn't it? Uh, they, they can't stand him and they're desperate for him to lose and somehow not get the nomination or, or, or win in November. So I think he's really got everyone's attention and therefore the race itself has got everyone's attention as well. Interesting. we come back to you a little bit later if we can. Lorna Shaddock, LBC's reporter over there in America, takes the time quite nicely to 425 which is fantastic you are listening to the program that has the biggest audience at this time bar none the 4am spike proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that more people are listening to this than anything else which is fantastic actually i always love it when somebody writes you go i shall never listen to you ever again and you think it's the same person they're, they're like a parrot they just keep droning on about the same sort of things all the time which is terribly tedious so uh, over in america it's all going on over here it's budget day most of you won't won't care about budget day either all you want to know is you know will your mortgage cost more money will your booze go up will your fags go up and will petrol go up that's the main things you can bring the budget down to about uh, about a minute and a half and it will be done in a minute and a half on the news bulletins later on. The time they've done it, I've done about five budgets for LBC over the years. And to be honest with you, once you've dispensed with all the rubbish about this and that and this and that, uh, all the rest of it, you then come down to the nitty gritty is 
are things going to cost you more next year? That's all it comes down to. It's not, it's not anything else at all. I couldn't care less, you know, about interest rates and stuff like that. I shall still come into work. We'll all still get on with it. There's nothing you can do about it. He'll have set the budget. He'll have done it. It'll all be fine. Uh, Cathy's in Oxford. Uh, it says, I've woken early on my 65th birthday. God, you're lucky to be awake at 65, aren't you? I mean, that's the kind of worry, isn't it? When you get to 65, you think, will I be awake tomorrow morning? I don't know. You try and cram as much in. I always say to people, get up early. Because if you're feeling slightly dodgy, and you might be at 65, I don't know, uh, you know, get up there, get some toast. And, you know, I didn't have yesterday what I was going to have, but I did get from Lynn. She, uh, she took me out. She said, we go for a cup of coffee. Uh, we were going to go for lunch, and I said, no, I don't want to do lunch, because I can't do lunch too early, because otherwise it screws up my sort of um, the rest of my day. But anyway, so I, um, we went out, and we had two slices of toast each, two rounds of toast and a cup of coffee at a local cafe. And that was like, she, she said, I'll, I'll get it. She said, it's your birthday treat. I thought, what, two pieces of toast and a cappuccino? I said, is that it? Is that what I'm getting for my birthday? I said, good Lord, Lynn, I thought you could do better than that. And then to make matters worse, she pinched my strawberry jam as well. So I didn't even get to keep my strawberry jam. I mean, that is really mean, isn't it? It's really mean. But uh, I know I've got presents. I know I've got presents because they've started arriving. Which is always very... You know, the nice thing is, if you do a job like this, which is fantastic, not only do they pay you for doing it, which is, which is the bonus as far as I'm concerned, but you get presents on your birthday and Christmas and cards and stuff like that. And I'm luckier than almost anybody on this entire station. I get loads of Christmas cards. I mean, seriously, I could have filled up the entire office last year with Christmas cards, which, uh, which is not bragging, it's just a, it's just a statement of fact. And uh, I've got presents as well. Already my, my little pigeonhole is full up with, uh, with interesting-looking boxes. Courtney's got a bag downstairs, I know that, because we were going to do it the other day. He said, oh, this bag's just arrived in, so we're going to do those. I don't like opening things before birthdays. I'm, a, I'm slightly superstitious. Not terribly superstitious, but just a little bit. I don't want to sort of, you know, rock the apple cart at all. Uh, another one here, Graham says, I live in Leeds. Oh, God, you poor sod, honestly. Must be awful for you, really. And the place with sort of legalised prostitution or something like that. He said, LBC is starting to be popular around here. Oh, well, there you go. Malcolm says, if you want to see tactile, look no further than Ben Shepherd when somebody wins the jackpot. Tipping point. I quite like tipping point. I think it, it's, it's obviously stretched him intellectually. But I quite like tipping point. It's sort of interesting watching Ben trotting out another one of his naff suits. And, uh, and we will ask the question later on. Why do all the men on television programmes sit on the left-hand side of the sofa? Why, when we're looking at it, when, when they're in the studio, they're on the right-hand side. But if you look at them on the toe, they're on the left. They all do it. Eamon, fat boy, fat Holmes, he does it with Ruth. Yeah. Uh, Philip Schofield does it. It's almost as if the men are leading the programme and the women are just a little bit of extra on the side. It's not very nice, is it? I would like to see maybe... You know, in, in the case of, uh, of poor old Piers Drogan, I think, really, Susanna should be sitting on the other side because she's far better than he is. He's, he's not very good at all. He's just a bit sort of... He's, he's sort of naff, I so want to be in show business kind of thing, and he's not, he's not really very good at it. Not really very good. That's why he was fired as a newspaper editor. Uh, 84850, uk, And uh, Jane uh, listened uh, yesterday and says, I agree with everything everything um, that you said about the truly appalling behaviour of the Top Gear team at the Cenotaph. She said, uh, I'm disgusted that the BBC claimed the filming was 40 yards away from the Cenotaph, as if that makes it acceptable. Horrifies me that Chris Evans, the executive producer, claims he was unaware of it. I mean, you know, and to think Jeremy Clarkson didn't have his contract renewed because he disrespected the producer. Well, he did hit him. He did hit him. 
And uh, to be honest with you, I mean, I wasn't there, so I don't know what went on, and I couldn't really care less. I mean, sometimes I think producer. I mean, I've got a producer here this morning. Oh, yeah, you know, like that. But uh, it's you know, and and that's when the program all went pear shaped, didn't it? All went all went downhill when they decided we're going to get rid of him. So the BBC makes some sort of fantastic statement about we're going to get rid of Jeremy Clarkson, and it was that moment that the program collapsed like the pack of cards, and it's gone from disaster to disaster. Six hundred and fifty thousand pounds a show. Six. My God in heaven, what's the budget for the one show? About threepence, I should imagine, compared to that. This is Steve Allen with a look back at some of the highlights from my weekday early breakfast show on LBC. More to come after the news. This is Steve Allen with a look back at some of the highlights from my weekday early breakfast show on LBC. The 1p rise in fuel duty. I mean, do me a favour. That's not going to make any difference, is it? So it's, it's different price petrol wherever you go in the country. You know, certain parts of London, they just seem to make up their own numbers. It's, it's just, I wouldn't, I could understand it if it was the same across the whole country, but it's not. The sugar tax, I don't think it's going to work at all. The manufacturers will pay it. What will they do? They pass on the rise to you. If you want to drink full fat Coke or full fat, you know, um, whatever that very health, that um, thing that gives you a buzz in the morning. It's a blue can, thin blue can, and it's... It's just full. It's just mainly sugar, and it gives you a. I can't remember what it's called now. It gives you a buzz, doesn't it? People drink it. What is that stupid stuff called? <laughs> oh, here we go. We had this discussion with my driver this morning. We both decided we're near the end of our lives. He thinks it's going to happen sooner than I do. But we were both talking about, you know, no, not monster. No, it's um. Oh, it's thin. It's just sugar. It's a blue. No. It's not, no, it's nothing like that. It's, you know what it is. When I tell you what it is, you'll, oh, I'm going to find the blasted picture of the paper this morning. It's just, it's all sugar. Any of those on screen? It's, it looks like those on screen. Red Bull. Stupid boy. Stupid boy. See what I'm working with? You see what they've given me? God, dear. If Sam Lovell was here, my God, things would be different. Mind you, he's obviously off with the pixies this morning, my friend Sam. Because he's over, he's abroad, working abroad, and uh, he thinks I'm 41. He's quite, mind you, I managed to convince somebody the other day I was 43, so that wasn't too bad, was it? And uh, my friend Jordan, he says, uh, happy birthday to one of my favourite broadcasters and people in the world. Is that the whole wide world? I used to like that, used to, the whole wide world and the solar system. And that, that kind of covered it. Uh, from sunny Queensland, Katie sends birthday wishes. And Sean says, can we have a birthday selfie? Um... We probably can, actually, yes. Although Sven reckons another year younger, Steve, pipe and slippers on the way. Pipe and slippers. Do you know, actually, that that isn't as depressing a thought as you think, because I do have slippers. I don't put them on all the time. I like, I'm, I'm a toe wiggler. I don't know if that's good or healthy or unhealthy. But I, um, uh, I do have slippers. <laughs> Fur-lined. I don't know. What does that tell you about me? It tells you that I've got to that age now where uh, where I wear fur-lined slippers. Mind you, I think if we were able to put out the pictures of Jordan on the internet, I think he'd end up with a with a few more fans. You not reckon so? And uh, I'm, I might do you a selfie a little bit later on, actually. And uh, Carol, birthday wishes all the way from New York City, and uh, and uh, Ophelia and Sally and Love London and Fat, as I mentioned, loads of people actually. Uh, and uh, it's, it's very nice. Thank you very much indeed. It's it, it might get a bit tedious for other people who've never heard this program before, where the presenter, you know, keeps saying and so and so has wished me happy birthday. But let's face it, I'm only going to be this age once. 
And if I drop dead tomorrow, then you'll feel awfully guilty about the fact that you sort of complained about it. But uh, anyway, so uh, I've just had McDonald's. Three cheeseburgers, chips and tea. Oh, dear. I couldn't do things like that. I couldn't do anything. I did look yesterday. What did I buy yesterday? Oh, they do this thing in McDonald's. It's um, chicken. They're like chicken fillets, but sort of like um, a Kentucky batter type thing on them. And I had those. That was quite nice, actually. That was OK. Joyeux, joyeux anniversaire, says Christopher. Long-time listener. I like long-time listeners. Uh, Steve, I was going to send you a card, says Wendy, but somehow in a senior moment, which is something uh, you can be looking forward to, I thought it was uh, not Monday and I should have done it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So it doesn't really matter at all. Uh, received your hardback book, says uh, Barry. So you want to be a celebrity. Audio version out shortly. Audio version out shortly. Uh, Stephen Potter's Bar says, I hope you get lots of uh, alcohol. Yes, I'm, I'm sure there will be lots of alcohol, actually. And Adrian, uh, Sarah thinks another year older, another year wiser. I'm not sure whether it's another year wiser. Do you think that's the case? Me and my driver this morning, we were having a long, long chat about, uh, about age and how things have changed over the years and how people aren't respectful anymore. Even at bus queues, the bus comes in. You know, if you're at the front of the queue, you can very finely sell, find yourself quickly at the back of the queue because people don't bother to give elderly people any sort of leeway. They couldn't care less. Young people, young people in school uniform. The next one I see, I'm going to take a picture of and put up on the internet uh, for sort of making elderly people stand while they sit down. If ever I see them, I always go, excuse me, that's for an elderly person. I tapped some bloke on the shoulder on the train yesterday. Excuse me, this is the quiet carriage. Oh, and carried on. I said, no, this is the quiet carriage. Some people are too stupid, aren't they, really? I don't know, we've got some dumb people coming into the country. And Steve, why is a tax cut not cut from fruit and vegetables, says Fion? I don't know. I, d- I definitely do not think, and I'm, I'm, I might be proven wrong on it, but I do not think that the tax on sugar is going to make the slightest difference. Jamie Oliver's going, oh, right, this is going to be good. It's not going to solve anything at all. Whilst you've got fast food places on the high street, like, you know, the McDonald's, like the Burger King, like the Spaduli K, like, uh, you know, every or any of the fast food places, any of them, you're always going to have people who indulge in it because people like eating it. And that's the trouble. You know, taking out sugar isn't going to make any difference. It's really not. Apart from dentists might see a drop in uh, in sales, but it's not going to make any difference. I really don't. It just means that the price of your Red Bull, the price of your Coke, the price of your Fanta, the price of just about everything is going to go up if it's got sugar in it because they've had to pay extra. You don't think they're going to absorb the cost, do you? They're going to put it onto you. You're going to pay for it. It's not going to make any difference at all. It really isn't. It's very laudable. And I'm sure that Jamie Oliver is thinking in the right direction because he's got kids and all that kind of stuff. But for the rest of us who don't have the money that he's got, we're going to have to pay for it. We're going to have to pay for it. After Prince William Steve was branded a hypocrite over the big game issue, the Queen's opening a new enclosure for lions at London Zoo. Do you think he was earmarked for it? Well, I don't know whether he thought about that. It's cost millions, that enclosure. You can see it from um, Regent's Park as you go around Regent's Park. You can see the lion enclosure. You can see uh, the tiger enclosure. You can see the camels. It's quite exciting, actually. I like it. I'm a member of, uh, of the zoo. I'm a member of it because of the uh, of the work they do for conservation. But I'm not really, not really a fan of Prince William anymore. I just can't be. I mean, I just think all they're... Tra- and then Harry's gone out to do something today. Obviously, they've got Harry. You better be seen to be doing something. Your favourite nightclub's been closed down for the second time. You better go off and do a charity thing. So they've, they've packed him off somewhere. And so he's gone off. It'll be a couple of photos of uh, Harry. It's not really work. There's no work involved in any of this. 
It just goes out, photo opportunity, and then he'll come back and then carry on doing, you know, all the other stuff that he does, really. Uh, the story about Prince Andrew that I brought you yesterday is in the papers again today. This is where Prince Andrew, uh, being the uh, the buffoon that he is, not exactly the hardest working member of the family, but it kind of runs, doesn't it, with the, uh, with the ex-wife and, uh, and the two gormless children as well. I didn't vote for them. You didn't vote for them. I don't even like them. I reckon, everybody said to me yesterday, loads of people, I say everybody, not the entire world, quite clearly, but they were saying, with the death of the Queen, uh, the royal family will change. It will change beyond all belief. You know, I think the public are going to turn. I've just got this feeling. I think it was very nice at one time. It was great during the war years. Fantastic. All wonderful. Now, I think what we're seeing is a bunch of lazy people who don't actually do anything. The only person who appears to be doing anything is the Queen. Seriously. So she's going today uh, to do um, the opening of the line enclosure. As I say, they couldn't dare have picked William, could they? They couldn't, I mean, after yesterday's comments about it's OK to go out and shoot wildlife, I mean, they couldn't def- They couldn't have put him in there at all. Might have been slightly disturbing. And so, and then uh, uh, William's wife was supposed to be doing the handing out of the shamrocks to the Irish regiment. So she's pulled out of that one. She wanted to get home to go and see the children. So he's now doing it. They're really disappointed. They didn't want to see William. They just wanted to see her. Uh, the big quiz of the paper, as uh, Ollie Murs comes out as 20% gay, whatever that means. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen was 31% gay and Robbie Williams is 49% gay. I think that's called bisexual, isn't it, actually? Although, to be honest with you, I mean, wouldn't give you thruppence for any of them. But uh, they then have a quiz. I mean, the quiz, it's, you do not need to do 20 questions to find out if somebody's gay. OK, here are, here are the two things to find out if somebody's gay. Have they got more than six items in the bathroom? Have they got a carpenter's CD? Okay. If the answer to those is yes, they're gay. Okay. It's as simple as that. Do they put up the Christmas tree and take great they're gay? All right. You don't need to ask silly questions like how long do you spend in the bathroom each morning? Because I know heterosexual people who spend days in the bathroom. What was the last thing you saw at the theatre? You know, if you went to see, you know, a musical, they say that makes you gay. Whereas I would have thought little Shakespeare, who pranced around on stage in a skirt, that was about as gay as they're going to get. Describe your taste in interior design. Full Versace excess, gold leaf, leopard print and tassels. That makes you gay. So in other words, most footballers in this country are gay. What breed of dog would you have? If you've got a staffy, you're not going to be gay. But as I say, don't don't bother with this silly quiz here written by somebody called Matt Kane, who looks like he might know the answer to most of these. You know, they say it's a fun quiz. No, it's a waste of a page and a half, to be honest with you. All you have to do is say, how many items in your bathroom? Any more than six? You're gay. Do you like the carpenters? You're gay. OK, do you mime with a hairbrush in the mirror? You're gay. All right, simple. The three things there works every time. I'm Steve Allen, and you've been listening to the best of my shows from the past week. Don't forget, you can listen to me every weekday morning from 4 till 6.30 here on LBC. And you can listen to my free podcast too. I'll be back tomorrow morning with In Conversation from 5 and I'm live from 6 till 8. Coming up, it's Saturday Breakfast with Andrew Pearce. This is LBC.